And so this morning, we're going to be looking at serving the Lord together as we continue our series on essential disciplines. Uh, this particular discipline is on serving. What do we do to serve the Lord? And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 12. Uh, we're going to read a verse in 1 Samuel 12, verse 24, but then we're going to be several different places. I'm encouraging you to follow along with me. Now, I want you to follow along in God's Word yourself, so I will put the references on the screen and the words of the verse on the screen, but, but I hope that you can flip back and forth and jot down these verses to look at later. Now, beginning in 1 Samuel 12, verse 24, you can put your finger there. As we think of these essential disciplines, let's remind ourselves that something you're disciplined is requires action. Right? A discipline is not a characteristic. It's not something that we are. It's something that we do. And so we have already talked about reading our Bible. It's not that we are Bible readers. It's that we actively read the Word of God. It's not that we are, are prayers, but that we actively are people who pray. And last week, as we talked about evangelism, it's not that that is a characteristic trait that some people have. There is a command for us to go and share our faith. And like Bible study, prayer, and evangelism, the Bible teaches that the discipline of serving should flow naturally out of a growing Christian. We should have this natural inclination to get plugged in and serve. However, like Bible study, prayer, and evangelism, serving often gets cast aside as something to be done when it is convenient. Something that, that makes us comfortable as opposed to something that stretches us. So I'm going to look at serving as a discipline, something we commit ourselves to do. Not just something that we are, but something we act upon. So let's begin by reading in 1 Samuel 12, verse 24. And the first half of that verse that we'll focus on to start with says, Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. Now, we'll come back to this verse later, but for now, let's notice this expectation to serve. Samuel writes to us, serve the Lord faithfully with all of your heart. You know, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus tells us that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You might have heard this idea of carrying your cross for Christ. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian in World War II. He famously summarized this idea in this way. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Perhaps you've recognized these words as a, as a phrase now etched on the famous praise hymn chorus, The Wonderful Cross. He bids me come and die. But what does it mean that we come and die? What does it mean that we would take up our cross daily? What is Jesus trying to communicate to us when he says the cost of discipleship is this burden of carrying your cross and dying? Well, certainly it may mean martyrdom for many of Jesus' disciples. As a matter of fact, all of them except for John, tradition tells us, died a martyr's death. They were killed for their faith. It might mean that. It might mean persecution. It might mean floggings and abuse. But, but I think sometimes and usually it means something very different for you and I living in America. Don Whitney says in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, 
It seems far more common that Christ's call is death by disease, washing feet in obscurity. It's not a, an instant death, but instead it's a, it's a constant reminder that we are dying to ourselves. It's, it's a little thing here and a little thing there. It's a, a touch here and a touch there. Much of this sermon is taken from Whitney's books. So I, I would encourage you, uh, if you have time, uh, to, to get a copy of uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. I won't reference Don Whitney every time I, I make a comment from his book, but uh, reading his chapter on serving uh, will teach you a whole lot about what God's Word says. Serving is, is not necessarily an all-out death. Instead, it is a constant dying to self. There, there are two quick things before we get into some motivations or reason why we serve that, that I want to make sure we're on the same page as. First is this. Every Christian is gifted to serve. We could spend an entire sermon. Indeed, I have spent sermons talking about our spiritual giftedness. But I think it's an important reminder before we look at motivations for serving that you, as someone who identifies a believer in Jesus Christ, have a unique spiritual gift that God has given you. Now, you may not know what that gift is. That's okay. You may not really understand fully what God has called you to do. That's okay. But you need to be reminded today that you have a spiritual gift if you are in Christ. Paul writes extensively to, to several churches about these gifts that God has given us. And so you have a specific gift that God wants you to use in serving. Secondly, I think it's important for us to remember before we look at these motivations for serving the Lord, that serving is often hard work. Now, I think that we understand that serving can be hard work, but I think it's important for us to remind ourselves that serving is hard work because most of the time when opportunities for service come up, we push them aside because they're not comfortable. It doesn't fit into our schedule. It causes us to get our hands dirty and we just don't want to do it. And we usually justify it by taking the Lord's name in vain and saying, the Lord just isn't calling me to that. I think if we're honest with ourselves, what we mean is, I don't really feel comfortable doing that. It's too hard, and I want to push it aside. So this morning, I think maybe we need to ask ourselves the question, not, not what is my gift, although I hope you look for that. Not is serving going to be hard or not. The answer is yes. But instead, ask the question, why do I serve? But why does the Bible say we should serve? Why does Scripture teach us that we should be plugged in serving somewhere? I want to look at six motivations for serving. In your bulletin, you have a place to take notes. So you can write down these six single words that give us motivation for serving. And the first is obedience. Obedience. We're going to be looking in Deuteronomy 13.4. As a matter of fact, I encourage you to write the reference down to that, uh, right next to the word obedience. That way you can look that up later. We're motivated to serve out of obedience. Now, we've established in previous weeks that we don't like this motivation for discipline, do we? We don't like the because God says so mentality any more than we like growing up when you 
asked your mom a question, why do I have to do this? She looked at you and she said, because I said so. We hate that, don't we? I'm rebellious by nature. I know I'm a preacher, but I don't like being told what to do. I like to do things my own. I like to figure it out. As a matter of fact, if you tell me to do something, I'm very likely not to do that very thing. This is a picture just from our mission trip. Now, this is a a mission trip, going to serve the Lord, and I couldn't help myself when I saw this on the plane. It says, do not touch. Oh, I had to touch it. (laughs) I didn't. I got really close. But we have this built in us, don't we? God says do, so we don't want to. The world says don't, and we want to. We, We want to do the opposite of what we're told. Our motivation should be obedience, but we don't like that motivation do we? However, I think it's fitting to understand that Scripture does call us to obedience in serving. There is a command that we would sacrifice ourselves in service. That's why we read in Deuteronomy 13, verse 4, You shall walk after God, uh, walk after the Lord your God, and fear Him, and keep His commandments, and obey His voice, and you shall serve Him, and hold fast to Him. Everything about this verse relates to obedience, doesn't it? And right smack dab in the middle of Deuteronomy 13, verse 4, Moses writes, You shall serve him. Our first motivation for wanting to serve is simply our desire to be obedient to God. He asks us to serve. He commands us to serve. And out of obedience, we are motivated to serve. Thankfully, there are five other words because we don't like the idea of obedience, although it's an important one and we should discipline ourselves to be obedient. There are even more motivations that Scripture gives for service, including our, our next one, which is gratitude. Gratitude. Right down next to the word gratitude, 1 Samuel 12, 24. Can we be honest? Serving God can feel like a burden, can it? There are times that we don't want to serve, and so we do it begrudgingly. And that's because service is often, what we said earlier, hard work. It's not easy for us to do. But Samuel tells us in chapter 12, verse 24, Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. Did you catch that motivation for serving that Samuel gives us? Whenever serving God feels difficult, feels hard, remember what great things God has done for you. Do you remember what it was like before you were a believer in Jesus Christ? Take just a moment and think back to a time when when you weren't a faithful Christian. Do you remember the feeling of emptiness and the lack of hope? Remember how it feels to be guilty and unforgiven? Do you remember the, the feeling and the horror of being one heartbeat away from an eternity in hell separated from God? Even before you realized what salvation was, you knew something was meant for more. Do you remember the fear you felt before your certainty in Christ? Now, do you remember seeing Jesus faithfully for the first time? Do you remember understanding what Jesus did through his death, his burial, and his resurrection? Do you remember the burden of your guilt being released? 
Do you remember the first time that you realized you were eternally secure in Christ, that you would never lose that salvation, that God himself held on to you? Let me ask, what has God ever given to anyone that could compare to the salvation he has given to you? Do you realize what a gift you've been given? Do you realize how God has faithfully rescued you from sin? So when your desires to serve God grow cold, remember what he has done for you and serve him with gratitude in your salvation. If we cannot be grateful servants of him who has saved us from our sin, in him who we have everything, then what exactly will make us grateful? Serve the Lord with obedience, but serve the Lord with a thankful heart, with gratitude, remembering what God has done for you. Well, pastor, quite honestly, we we can serve God begrudgingly out of obedience and gratitude, but God also calls me to serve God out of gladness. God wants you to be happy when you serve. This is difficult when you look at our first two words. God says, do it, so we must do it. Okay, I'll do it. God says, be thankful, so do it with a thankful heart. Okay, but I don't have to like it, and I don't have to be happy about it, right? Psalm 100, verse 2. Hope you write that down next to the word gladness. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Serve the Lord with gladness. Ancient kings had a practice that that if they had a servant in their presence who was not smiling, they often would execute them because of their lack of gladness. It was this idea that, that the servant didn't find joy in serving their master. And that was not acceptable. It was this idea that that somehow the king and his tasks were not enough for the servant. You can actually see an example of this in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah is a servant of the king, and he's burdened and sad over the state of his people, and he's fearful because he's in the king's presence, and the king asks him, why are you so downtrodden? Why why is your face so glum? We read in Nehemiah 2.2 that Nehemiah had great fear because you did not serve the king without an attitude of gladness. A lack of gladness in serving reflects a, a hesitant heart, but even more troubling. It reflects dissatisfaction with the king. Uh, imagine Mother's last week was Mother's Day. Imagine your children waking up early on Mother's Day morning, really early in the morning, and fixing you a, a nice breakfast in bed. And I don't mean a bowl of cereal. I mean they, they make pancakes or waffles or whatever you love. They, they make eggs and bacon and, and more bacon and even more bacon. You know, they, they really, that's Father's Day. I've got my holidays wrong. They, they give you all of your favorites. Spend a long time preparing this meal for you early in the morning and bring it to you before you even get out of bed. And in doing so, all of your children come in arguing with each other and fighting over you should have made it this way and you should have done that way and they slap it down on your bed and they're bickering back and forth about who made what and, and then you eat your breakfast and you walk into the kitchen and, and they're, they're upset because you have the audacity to ask them to clean up after the mess that they've made. Would you wash the dishes? And they're upset about that and they're complaining 
No, you do the dishes. No, I don't want to do the dishes. I help do this. And, and they're arguing with each other again. And then they spend all Mother's Day moping around. I'm so tired because I had to get up so early this morning. Mom, do you understand how early I woke up to, to make you that breakfast? And, and all day long, they're just complaining and griping. Now, would you expect that that would be a great act of service for you on Mother's Day? No! How do you think the Lord feels when his church shifts tasks to one person to another? I don't really want to do that. I'm not really pleased to do that. I have no joy in my heart to do that. No, our service should come out of the satisfaction we have in serving a great God. When your children make a Mother's Day breakfast for you, it's out of, out of love. We care about you. And we joyfully want to bring you this meal. When we serve God, we ought to do it because we are pleased with the King. We are content with what God has done for us. Psalm 84, verse 10. If you want to jot this verse down to look up later as well, says Psalm 84, 10. One day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper, a servant in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The psalmist in Psalm 84.10 says, I'd rather serve you than be a free man and own my own tent. It's better to have the joy of serving than even the joy of my own dwelling. We're motivated by obedience and gratitude and we should be motivated out of a gladness because we're pleased with the king. Also, we should be motivated out of forgiveness. Now, you can write in the, the blank the word forgiveness, but you may also write uh, the word not guilt. And I'll tell you why here in just a moment. Your word is forgiveness. We're motivated by forgiveness, but it's important that we realize it's in contrast to guilt. We serve because of a debt we feel that we owe God, right? We serve because of the phrase, Jesus died for you, the least you can do is live for him. Most of us serve with this idea that we owe God something and we have this extreme guilt on our lives. I don't want to do it. I'm not happy to do it, but I feel like I have to do it. Can I tell you, our motivation for serving cannot be guilt. If your motivation is that you're trying to pay God back for something, you will never serve the Lord with gladness. If your motivation for giving is that, that Jesus has done something so you're forced into obedience, you will never have gratitude. No, our motivation for serving should not come from guilt, should not come from, oh, I have to, but instead it should come from the opposite of guilt, forgiveness. We have a fantastic example of this in the Old Testament. Right down next to that word forgiveness, Isaiah 6, 6 through 8. Isaiah 6, 8 is a very famous Old Testament passage of Scripture. I'll go ahead and summarize it for you, and then we'll read it here in just a moment. God is looking for someone to serve him, and he calls out, who will serve? Who will go for me? And Isaiah boldly stands up and says, here I am, Lord, send me. We use this in mission sermons. We use this as examples of faithfulness and obedience. Here I am, send me. Let me serve. But let's read the immediate context of Isaiah's motivation to serve. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6 through 8 says, Then one of the seraphim, that's a, a name of an angel, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. 
and he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. What is the immediate context to Isaiah's pledge of service? He was forgiven, right? The angel had come and touched his lips and made him clean. This word atone means means he's been made right with God. Isaiah's motivation for service was not guilt, was not somebody has to do it. His motivation was, I'm forgiven. Isaiah was like a a dog salivating over food, right? He, He was chomping at the bit to go and do whatever God called him to do. Why? Because he experienced forgiveness. Like Isaiah, we ought to be be drooling at the opportunity to serve God. Our forgiveness in Christ should so motivate us that we want to do anything for Him. We are forgiven. No, we are no longer guilty. Paul makes that perfectly clear. You cannot serve out of guilt because Paul reminds us that, that we no longer have guilt or condemnation. We only have grace in Christ. Our motivation then does not come because we have to. It comes because we're forgiven. And we have the privilege of serving. Our fifth word that gives us motivation for serving is humility. You know, really, we, we could do an entire separate sermon on this. Our humility should motivate us to serve and so instead of going through an entire sermon, I wonder if we can just look at this word humility for just a couple of minutes and asks, ask ourselves, do we have humility in service? Jesus was our perfect example of a humble servant. The night before his death, the night before he, he was going to be crucified, the night that he was going to be put to death because he was accused of being a king of the people, Jesus did not seek out servants. Instead, in a quiet room with his apostles, he grabbed a towel and a bowl of water and the king of kings washed the feet of his disciples. Look at John chapter 13, verses 12 through 16 with me. It says, When he had washed their feet, And put on his outer garments. He resumed his place and said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus is our ultimate example of humility. The king of kings did not seek out servants. Instead, he sought to serve. He sought to give. We typically want recognition for our service, don't we? We like to have our name up on a plaque somewhere. We love to to be seen by others in our service. Even those of you who work behind the scenes appreciate it every once in a while. Would the pastor just recognize that I sit up in the sound booth and run the computer every once in a while? 
Would the pastor just make mention that, that there are people behind the scenes that wash dishes after church fellowships? Wouldn't it be nice if somebody would see what I do? This isn't humility. This is hypocrisy. Jesus' example isn't one of attention. It's one of demotion. It's not one of, of him getting glory and credit and honor. It, truly, it's one of him giving of himself in anonymity. If the gospel writers had not recorded this for us, no one would have known that he washed the disciples' feet. As a matter of fact, John will tell us at the end of his letter, there are so many more things that Jesus did, we couldn't possibly write them all down. I don't think there's enough scrolls on the planet, John says, to record every good thing Jesus had done. He wasn't looking for recognition. He was looking to humbly serve. Our humble hearts should motivate us to serve and receive nothing in return. We ought to serve out of humility. For many of you, humility is, is not a motivation for serving at all. As a matter of fact, for many people, humility is an enemy to service. It's this battle that our, our humility has with our fleshly desire to be recognized. And washing feet doesn't fit with that fleshly desire. Let me ask, can you serve your boss at work even after you've been passed over a deserved promotion? Can you build other people up and encourage them even when it makes you look worse by comparison? Can you minister to people who God exalts and blesses when it feels and seems like God is not blessing you and you feel neglected? Can you pray for the ministry of others Maybe the ministry of others within our church, or how about this? Can you pray for the ministry of other churches in our community? Even if that means it casts a shadow on your own ministry or your own service. Will you allow God to deal with you in your humility for service? Will you be obedient even when it means you don't get the recognition that you feel you deserve? Our last motivation for serving is, is love. And really, no other motivation provides more fuel for service than this. You can write down next to the word love, Galatians 5.13. Let's look at Paul's words in Galatians 5.13. It says, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. There are many things we can do for God that we would not do for any amount of money. There's one African missionary who was, who was asked, do you enjoy doing what you do? Do you like serving in Africa? And his response was, was somewhat surprising. Listen to what he said. Do I like this work, he said? No. My wife and I do not like dirt. We have reasonably refined sensibilities. We do not like crawling in vile hunt, huts through goat refuse but as a man to do nothing for Christ that he does not like. God pity him if not. Liking or disliking has nothing to do with it. We have orders to go, and we go. And then he says, love constrains us. The motivation for doing the dirty work of serving ultimately comes down to, do you have a love for God? Love constrains us. You know, playing dolls is boring, I don't enjoy it one bit. There are literally a thousand things I'd rather do than play dolls. I, I, 
literally rather watch paint dry than have to play Barbies. I, I think that's, that's true and fair to say. But you know, when my girls were little, I spent hours sitting on the floor helping them put on fashion shows with dolls. Why? Because love constrains me. You couldn't pay me any amount of money to take a bullet. What good is a million dollars going to do if I'm dead, right? There's nothing you could pay me to sacrifice in that way. Yet, if there was danger coming to my wife, would I not sprint to save her? Why? Because love constrains me. Doing ministry is hard. Not just as a minister. I don't mean my ministry is hard, but for you as well, right? Everyone who serves must sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom. You give up Saturdays, your day off, right? You give up resources. You give up holidays, but you obediently do it with gratitude and gladness. Why? Because love constrains us. In Mark chapter 12, verses 30, or 28 through 31, Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. And the second, which is like it, is to love your neighbor, other people, as yourself. Our service needs to be motivated by that love. Love constrains us. I wonder this morning, have you experienced that love that Christ has given Have you experienced these motivations for serving? Has God changed your heart in such a way that that you cannot help but experience gratitude for that salvation? Can you serve the Lord with gladness because He has forgiven you? Do you understand the example of Christ's humility and death on a cross for your sake? Before we ask, are you motivated to serve, can we ask the question, do you have something, someone, a relationship with the Father, that gives you these motivations. God's desire is not that you begrudgingly become an indentured servant the rest of your life. God's desire is that you serve Him faithfully out of love, out of obedience, sure, with gratitude and gladness, knowing that God has forgiven you of your sins. Do you have that type of relationship with the Father today? And if so, and you're expected to serve, and you're gifted to serve, are you willing to serve Him this morning? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for for not only teaching us what service looks like, but being an example to us. Lord, I pray that we would always remember Your goodness to us. Not so that we're guilted into serve, but so that we're reminded the joy of serving You. Lord, when serving becomes hard, and inconvenient or make us faithful to recall your goodness Lord I pray for for each person in here that they would have experienced the goodness of your salvation Lord we pray that you would give us the love that constrains us and calls us that bids us come and die to sacrifice our very lives so that day by day we serve you giving ourselves up so that one day that we will be found faithful Lord, give us the discipline to serve. It's in your name we pray. Amen.